Welcome to Agriculture in North Carolina. Hello, farmers and friends. I'm Dan Miller. This program is all about the largest industry in our state, agriculture. Fall is here, I know for sure, because in less than two weeks, the North Carolina State Fair opens. Fair runs October 12th through the 22nd in Raleigh. We'll find out more about what's new at this year's fair. We'll get up with North Carolina Ag Commissioner Troxler next week. While the United States House and Senate were grappling with the budget, North Carolina legislators were recently passing our own state budget. We'll talk with North Carolina Senator Brent Jackson, who chairs both the Senate Ag and Appropriations Committees. Ag and NC is sponsored by Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, Syngenta Global, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Now we'll turn on and tune in our Ag and NC Duplin Studios. Jeff Turner is the COO of Murphy Family Ventures and member of the North Carolina Board of Agriculture and co-host of this program. Jeff, how are things in D.C.? Dan, I got to tell you, D.C. looks nice. Crops are almost harvested. People are going to start harvesting beans here right away, soybeans and cotton. So things look really good in, in D.C. I'm glad you mentioned the corn harvest. That reminds me. Coming up on next week's show, we'll talk with extension agent and corn guru, Ron Heinegger about this year's corn harvest. A couple of corporate stories making the ag headlines last week. Agco announced it will acquire 85% of Trimble Precision Agriculture Company. The deal said to be the largest ag tech takeover ever costs Agco $2 billion. The Trimble portfolio includes displays, steering motors, application control, and the all-important software. The acquisition would make Agco a player in the autonomous equipment field, as well as precision sprayers, farm data management, and help, too, with a bit of PR for sustainability. It's really amazing uh, the amount of technology that's utilized, and the digital side of, of agriculture is really big business. I think that's probably a good marriage. Uh, just interpret this for me, if you will, Jeff. Agco said it's going to put its grain and protein business under strategic review. <laughs> it sounds like some some different speak there to say, hey, it's for sale, come look. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> Need a little cash. <laughs> Next story is a little different biotech situation. Corteva taking Inari Partners, a startup biotech ag firm, to court in Delaware. Corteva says Inari bought seeds from a seed bank called American Type Cultural Collection, through a third party, then sent the seeds to Belgium for gene editing. They then genetically altered the Corteva copyrighted seed and applied for a patent on the altered seed. Have you seen this article, by the way? I have not. But I will I will say so, this. You know, things have come a long ways with regard to seeds and biotechnology. Years ago, a farmer would go out and find the best-looking cobs of corn, and that would be what he would hold to plant next year saving his own seed, so to speak, based on the looks to him. And and so today, through genetic modification, all the things that are going on with trying to, again, make agriculture more productive and more efficient, we're doing, you know, we're having to produce a lot more food and fiber on fewer acres of land every year. Coming up on today's program, we take a deep dive into North Carolina's past budget of about a week, 10 days ago, specifically with a focus towards agriculture with the chairman of the Ag, Energy, and Environment Committee, also the chairman of the Appropriation-Based Budget Committee, also Senator from District 9, Mellon Farmer, Senator Brent Jackson. I'd say Senator Jackson and the folks in the General Assembly have done a real good job. They finally got the budget out. That's that's the, the only fault I would have. They're quite a few weeks late. But beyond that, uh, I think they got a good budget. Cut taxes, puts more money into reserve, 
You know, if there weren't so many people moving to North Carolina, we just wouldn't have this excess cash to be able to do it. I mean, we are exactly. we're a friendly state for corporations and a friendly state for people. And by the way, that's the reason they're coming. That's just ahead on Ag and NC. Thanks in part to Donna Byram with First Choice Insurance Partners. Call Donna today at 252-792-1189. Let her protect your yield so you can stay in the field. This is Ag and NC. I'm Dan Miller, joined by Jeff Turner, and our guest is the chairman of the Agriculture, Energy, and Environment Committee and the chairman of the Appropriations and Base Budget Committee and member of about half a dozen other committees, the North Carolina Senator from District 9, Brent Jackson. District 9, by the way, reminds me a little bit of the old arcade game Pac-Man, which wraps around Jacksonville, looks like it's eating Jacksonville, and goes all the way to Fayetteville on the west side. Parts are all of Bladen, Duplin, Jones, Pender, and Sampson counties. I would say your district, District 9, is maybe 25% of all the agriculture receipts in the state. Is that close to right? I would think it might be more than that. Yeah. I was saying, you consider I, Sampson and Duplin and Jones County and Bladen. Those are big ag counties. So, Senator, let's talk about ag issues. Obviously, you got your farm bill out, and it was extremely helpful, I thought, to, in a lot of different areas. Well, I, you know, Jeff, I'll try, but that was so long ago now. I don't even know that I remember what was it without looking at it. <laughs> this, this, this budget has drained all my brain cells. <laughs> I can imagine. It's been a rough one. It has, but I mean, a couple of the, the funny things we did, and we worked this out with Highway Patrol, these folks that are pulling race cars and pulling farming tractors or pulling tractors, that type of thing, if they can get a truck classified as an RV, it eliminates the need for CDLs as well as them having to stop at the way stations and all that. And that should help out our folks that are, you know, do that for a hobby because they've had to hire CDL drivers in lots of cases and and then on the other things, we worked, tried to work with DEQ and EPA, but that didn't work out as good as they wanted it to. But I think for the most part, we have established what the waters of the U.S. are in North Carolina. And we just matched exactly the Supreme Court. And so that should open up some acreage and uh, that can be farmable without having to worry about being in wetlands. And uh, that's the main reason the governor vetoed it, and which, of course, we overrode it both in the House and the Senate. Does that not so, save and, the know, citizens of North Carolina a little bit? If we had gone out on our own in that particular area, we would have been open for litigation. What actually DEQ and EPA was wanting to do here in the state was make it actually more stringent than the federal uh, rule currently is based on upon what the Supreme Court ruled back earlier in the spring, I believe it was. We have always had a law in the books uh, since 2011 or 12 uh, that, you know, no rule or law in North Carolina can be more strenuous than what the feds require of us. So I don't know why they're wanting to do this, but the naysayers will say, you know, we have, we're, we're going to drain uh, 2 million acres and ruin 2 million acres of wetlands. Well, as I told some of them one day during the, the debate, I says, I don't consider isolated mud holes on my farm wetland and so you know that's what we try to do is put a little common sense into it in talking about the recently passed north carolina budget we obviously want to focus on the ag issues but the top line part and the taxes part i think north carolina residents should be interested in the fact that their income taxes are coming down in the state 
we've cut taxes by $1.2 billion for North Carolina families and businesses over this bi- coming biennium, which is the two years. We are accelerating the scheduled personal income tax cuts, dropping the rate to 4.5 in 20, beginning in 2024, and down to 2.49, but if certain revenue triggers are met. And then on salaries part of it, you know, we provided most state employees and teachers with a 7% pay raise across the biennium. And that doesn't mean everyone will be getting a 7%, but it is an average. The average teacher pay will increase to $60,671 by 2024-25, which is on par with the state medium household income. Starting teacher pay will increase actually by 11% to 41000 a year in fiscal year 2024-25. I think sometimes this is missed, but a teacher's pay is based off 10 months out of the year. Our state law enforcement officers will receive a 55 and 11% raise depending on their agency's rank and current pay scale in the first year. The highest rates went to the North Carolina Highway Patrol because they have been losing officers right and left to neighboring states. They're still way short on recruits. Uh, we also gave state retirees a uh, 4% non-recurring cost of living supplement in the first year of the biennium. We went ahead and done it in the first year so that it would help them with the inflation that we're all facing. Talking yeah. to Commissioner Troxler last week, there's 300 open slots in the Department of Agriculture in our state. He was hoping for some funds and got some funds to be able to up some of those salaries in areas where the state is just not competitive. Yeah, we did. We we put in uh, what we call a LIMAR, which is the labor market adjustment, that they can use that money in each of the agencies across the state to increase salaries as where they need to to retain seasoned employees as well as recruit new employees that they're having a hard time getting. I mean, Department of Ag is way short. I, I think that's the number I heard him say as well was 300 and some. But you've got uh, Department of Corrections is probably the worst across the state. And a lot of that on the teacher stuff is, you know, the most counties put in a supplement along on top of the state pay, uh, paid uh, salary. And, you know, counties like Mecklenburg and Wake, they can afford to give their teachers much more than, say, Sampson or Jones or, or Pitt or Green County can. I mean, they just have more sources of revenue. And so we put in money last in the last budget. We put money into to at least increase that to $5,000 county to try and help these uh, smaller and poorer counties match the uh, teacher supplement on the county level. Hang on, Senator Jackson, Jeff, and y'all. We'll be back in just a moment. Bill Carone Cars and Wallace is now the only Chevy GMC dealer in North Carolina to become an AgPAC dealer, which means any farmer who buys a vehicle at Bill Carone is eligible for more than $30,000 in savings on products you probably already use, everything from crop products to tires. Take advantages of the AgPAC program. Find out more online or at Bill Carone Cars in Wallace. You're listening to Ag and NC. I'm Dan Miller, along with Jeff Turner. We're joined by North Carolina State Senator Brent Jackson from the 9th District. Senator, what what do you consider like a highlight of the budget? Uh, one of the most important things I think we have done across the state is we've provided more than $2 billion for local water and wastewater projects across this state. Our 
infrastructure as we all know across this state on wastewater and sewer and and just water in general is really in dire situations and and desperately needed some influx of cash so they can start improving that. So $2 billion will go a long ways in that. We found out during COVID just how fragile our manufacturing and processing initiative is. You put money in the budget for that to uh, to expand those facilities and to move them closer to the farms as well. We did. There was an additional $10 million put in each year of the biennium, which was $20 million for what is called the North Carolina Agriculture Manufacturing and Processing Initiative to incentivize, as you were just talking about, the development of food processing facilities across the state. That's a drop in the bucket is what's going to be needed, but at least it is a start to get something hopefully moving and get these processing plants closer to the farms where they're at. Do we stand a chance of getting of using that for federal match? Well, there is some money out there on the Fed side as well, uh, and hopefully, you know, we can they can use this to bring in more money. With regard to the other items in the budget and agriculture, some capital improvements. Uh, and talking with Commissioner Troxler last week, uh, he was very pleased with with the outcome. Uh, I think the ag portion we've done a real good job. I think, and we have over the last. 10, 11, 12 years of trying to bring agriculture up to where they had been so far behind. And, but, you know, this year we're allocating 25 million or in this biennium, 25 million for farmland preservation, which is, that is key to some of these, uh, neighboring counties, you know, that are seeing around the metropolitan areas that are seeing so much growth. When you put a rooftop on that acre of land, you have lost that forever. All those rooftops, all that rain's coming down to the east, and which is causing us more problems every year when we have these storms. We provided $20 more million in disaster relief funds to the Agricultural Crop Loss Program, uh, should it be needed. And I think there might be some need for it uh, with some of the freezes that happened earlier in the spring. Uh, we have funded, you know, ongoing restoration and maintenance of streams in support of the flood mitigation efforts, as I was just referring to on this. I noticed a large animal enhancement fund for a large animal vets, some sort of uh, stipend there, because obviously that's an area that we are short and getting well, shorter. That is one thing we've done as well. We beefed up trying to get uh, large animal vets uh, in training and, and get them through the system. There's a couple of notes in the budget that large-scale projects where one particular permit is hanging out there, but everything else is a green light, you, the idea was that you're trying to expedite that sort of stuff. We did, and we also put a provision in there that they could actually started before the DEQ issued the final permits. If everything had been in place up to that point, like you were talking about one section of it hanging out there, and they just keep dragging it out and dragging it out, we allowed them to go ahead and get started, which hopefully will put pressure on DEQ to get out there and get it done. Years ago, when it permitting farms, I believe Senate Bill 1217 Back in 1996, we, we actually set a deadline and said, if you haven't got it permitted with, within so many days, it's deemed permitted. <laughs> and that, uh, that, that seems to put the right amount of fire under someone to move. <laughs> Believe it or not, Jeff, that well before my time in the General Assembly, but apparently they were not abiding by it because we had put, since I've been there, we've put several more stipulations on them trying to get them speeded up to do this, but 
I mean, at the end of the day, some of these agencies, and I'm not just picking on DEQ, but, I mean, some of these agencies just don't pay any attention to the laws we put in place. You know, it's not like we have state patrol for that sort of thing. What's the enforcement? (laughs) Well, that's, you know, that's the issue. I mean, it's normal citizens bringing it to the legislature's attention is the best way I know to try and address it. We can't do anything about something we don't know about. Yep. The, the agency that's that's slowing the process down, I suspect you could probably bring some sort of legal proceeding as an individual you or could. a company uh, if they're not following the law. I'm sure you could, but as you and I both well know, they would drag <laughs> that out forever, too. <laughs> well, that's how they all get paid, you know. Spe- know. Speaking of speaking of legal matters, uh, the ag yeah. gag law is making its way to the Supreme Court. Uh, I haven't been updated on the latest of it, but I did know know that it was going to the Supreme Court, and I think we're going to be able to sustain that and be able to put that in place. That's a good thing. Well, that yeah, that is a good thing. That's a real good thing. Ten million dollars in the budget for grants for local governments for coastal storm damage mitigation. Another ten million for resilient coastal communities program. You know, we have 90-some million dollars sitting, and I think it's 96 or 97 million dollars sitting there that as soon as this blueprint is done, and hopefully it's supposed to be done this fall so we can start divvying out where this money is going, but this will certainly help the additional money, and it's going to, we're going to need more. I mean, as Jeff and I know, and you probably do as well, Dan, this is a, this is a multi-billion dollar problem. A hundred million or close to it is just a drop in the bucket. A side note, I had a, session with uh, Commissioner Troxler and his staff, along with uh, College of uh, Ag and Life Sciences over at NC State last week, I, I, I learned that there's quite a bit of expertise with regard to flooding and, and farming water and that sort of thing within the department that I never knew about. So we, we got a lot of expertise there that was, for whatever reason, had been untapped made aware of that this week as well in a conversation with the commissioner, and uh, I think we're going to try it. Or he's trying to address that, and I will as well to make sure we use that expertise we already have. Did you guys like uncover a gem somewhere <laughs> where that we didn't know we had in the department? <laughs> well, it's, it is a gem, but you know, it seems as though a lot of times we go outside of state to find. Oh yeah, the expert. Yeah, and those same folks from out of state come to us <laughs> to get our experts. We got in-house experts that, uh, I, I, for, for whatever reason. Uh, had not been identified, but I'm, I'm real pleased with what we've learned. And there are some folks there to have a good amount of experience with what I will call farming water. You know, if we can find places that we can back this flood water up in and, and store it in farms or on farmland temporarily, when we have these big episodes of rain, especially west of I-95, because it all comes our way. In any event, I, I think it's, a, it's probably a, a, a good step forward, I hope. We have kind of run up against our wall here. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank well, you, Brent. Thank you, thank you for your time. Talk to you and talk to you guys, and hopefully uh, your ratings won't go down after this goes live. <laughs> thank you, sir. <laughs> have a good one. All right. This is Ag and NC. Coming up in just a moment, I'll go over last week's commodity numbers week over week. Thanks in part to B.G. Mitchell at Farmers Connection. If you've not put a copy in your hands, grab one today. Farmers Connection is a newsprint magazine with information and ads about suppliers and dealers right here in the Carolinas and Southern Virginia. Check out used equipment from Caps Trailers in Dover, Canaansville Equipment, Modern Tractor in Richlands, Nash Equipment in Burgaw, and Premier Equipment at Rocky Mount, Enfield, Washington, and Aden. 
Farmers Connection, available at independent farm equipment dealers all over our state and online at FarmersConnection.com. Taking a look at last week's commodity prices, December live cattle futures closed last week at 187.92 and a half. For the week, December live cattle fell $3.42 and a half cents. November feeder cattle futures lost $8.62 and a half cents to close at 254.90. Thursday's bearishly construed hog report sent hog futures tumbling late in the week. Nearby October dove $3.75 to $8.20 on Friday, while most active December matched that drop at $71.77 and a half. That closing price marked a weekly drop of 40 cents. Thursday's quarterly USDA hogs and pigs report indicated fourth quarter hog slaughter will slightly exceed industry expectations. North Carolina egg prices were lower on extra large and large, steady on the balance when compared to the prior week. The weighted average price quoted Thursday, September 28th for small lot sales of delivered carton grade A eggs was 156.12 for extra large, 142.24 for large, 128.25 for medium, and $92 for small eggs. Number two yellow shell corn, mostly 480 to 504 at the feed mills and 480 to 543 and a half at the elevators through Thursday of last week. Number one yellow soybeans ranged 1355 and a half to 1372 and a half at the processors, mostly 1271 to 1278 at the elevators. Number two red winter wheat was $5.03 to $5.64 at the elevators. Soybean meal FOB at processing plants ranged 46010 to 464 per ton for 46.5 to 48% protein. And new crop prices quoted for harvest delivery, soybeans were 1231 to 13.03 and a quarter. That's this week's Agriculture in North Carolina. Listen to the program on Talk 96.3 or 103.7, Mondays at 6.30 in the morning and 6 o'clock at night. You can also subscribe to our longer free podcast on Apple or Spotify on your mobile device or download the IBX Media app. Details on all that and links to our sponsors on our website, aginnc.com. Thanks to Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, Syngenta Global, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Agriculture in North Carolina, copyright 2023 Interbanks Media. For Jeff Turner and myself, Dan Miller, make it a great week. We'll be right back.